With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello there and welcome to 1865. This is our Forest Ramble monthly discussion show and we are joining you at the end of March 2022. So thank you for joining us. In today's show, we're going to be covering a number of things. We're going to have some reflections upon what's been going on on the pitch, both in terms of the cup and the league. And we're going to think about how Forest are doing uh, in terms of their squad depth uh, as we hit the business end of the season. We're also going to talk about the improved atmosphere at the city ground and uh, how much this is contributing to the success of the team and vice versa. We'll also be referring to the club Q&A that was recently held, and we'll be talking about things off the pitch as well. And we'll also hear from our friend Jeremy Davis with his sketch, and we'll have another game of Guess That Red. Anyway, without further ado, let's introduce this month's panel. So, greetings to you, Stephen Topless. Hello. Hello to Tom Newton. Hello all. And welcome to Baz. Hello. Hi there. Now, Baz, I'm going to start with you because uh, it's a week on since we all kind of basked in the glory, but the oh so near feeling of the Liverpool match. Now, I felt that what we managed to do quite well was to show in the FA Cup run that even though they're one-off matches, actually Forrest showed that they've got quite a lot about them. And if they were somehow to go up this season, we wouldn't just be pushovers at Premier League level, would we? Um, as long as we can keep it, sustain it over a, a long period of time. As as you say, it's one-off matches. It's very easy to get yourself fired up for a one-off match. It's doing it over 38 or however many. However, the one thing that I actually I didn't notice last week that I noticed this week is when you look back on... Um, Steve Cooper's post-match interview, the very first thing he says, well, is, well, we didn't win, which <laughs> that, that gives me a lot of hope for the future, just in that one answer. 
Mm, okay, but Stephen, let's let's just riff on that just for a second because we've heard a lot about and, and we've talked a lot about that whole idea of processes versus outcomes. And Steve Cooper does seem quite process driven in his interview so far. So is this a sign that actually, you know what, he's just like any other manager, and he realizes that results are everything? Yeah, I think he's he's somebody who values giving giving it a hundred percent every minute of every game and just seeing what happens. You might not be the best team on the pitch in terms of ability or value as we're not against Liverpool because they are in a operating in a different, almost a different stratosphere to Forest, given their status and Champions League top four team, all that kind of thing. Um, but you just have a go. And on the day, I think Steve Cooper is quite pragmatic in the sense of there's 11 you on the pitch. There's 11 of them on the pitch. Give it a go and just see how you do. We've got our game plan and we'll we'll play it out. And why not believe that you can win the game? Because stranger things have happened. And I like that about Steve Cooper. This this belief that we can go into any game believing we can win doesn't matter if it's if it's say you know Barnsley at home or or Liverpool. That belief is still there and that that confidence in the team that we can go out give any side a good game and possibly pick up a result as well. It's, it's refreshing. And I think it's, it's a mentality that's been missing from the club for a very long time. Mm. And, and Tom, just to go on that theme of a hundred percent in every minute of every game. So Cooper took a few, a few, uh, there were a few unkind comments coming from South Wales after he left the club because the style of play wasn't what Swansea fans wanted, especially in that second season. But is that does that cement the idea that that's because Cooper was working with what he had to work with? And if you give him the right tools, he can create a team that's not only successful, but also actually quite fun to watch. Um, pretty much. And I've gone on record on this pod before saying that Swansea have had Michael Laudrup and uh, Brendan Rodgers playing in a certain way and because they've had Premier League football. Feel that's the norm, and then Steve Cooper's coming, and he hasn't took him back to the Premier League. And then, obviously, the negatives have obviously been thrown his way regarding how, and I think it's a sense of a bit of jealousy, really, because they probably think he's going to do well at Forest, and he has been doing well. But I think it's um, a case of that, and the old uh, cliche of um, "be careful what you wish for." Controversial, that Tom. Uh, I, if there happen to be any Swansea fans listening, and, and and frankly, why would they be? But you do have a right to reply. So contact us via Twitter at Nottingham underscore Forest, um, yeah, or, or tweet Tom to... directly. Yeah, no, I'm off Twitter now after I've said that. Let's I'll put it in Welsh, then I won't be able to respond because I won't understand. So let's come back to the league because I think we all felt a sense of pride in what could have been in the cup match but of course in the league that's the bread and butter so as things stand in the international week we are in ninth position in the table we've played 36 matches and have 58 points but there's what two three games on hand on some of the teams who are above us and if we win two games uh, in hand over Luton Town who are, by the way, I think it's worth saying, are absolutely awesome this season. Uh, but if we win those two games in hand over Luton, then we will be in third position in the table. Now, Baz, I'm just going to come back to you because for weeks, 
you know, this time last month we were discussing the Bournemouth postponement and for weeks we were saying, well, actually we're going to need to hope that Bournemouth are on the beach by that stage. Going away to Bournemouth is going to be a tricky match. But it's if, if it's the last week of the season, then Bournemouth, if they're promoted, it might make it a little bit easier for us. And you know what? Now I'm thinking that match against Bournemouth in the last week of the season could be a six-pointer to try and get second place in the table. What do you think, Baz? Um, well, um, uh, I always you have to think back to where we were in September, which is we could be on for relegation here, and just getting to the mid-table would be would be a lucky escape. Um, I think it, it's, it would be nice to get automatic promotion. But just getting to the playoffs, I think, would be such an achievement in itself that I'm not going to look beyond that. Mm, Okay. And uh, Tom, just to come to you on this one, because the idea about going back to September when we were bottom of the league and, and steadfastly bottom of the league as well. I'm just thinking, yeah, we'd all have taken mid table. Some of us would have said, oh, if we get the playoffs, that would be an absolute bonus. Some of us still think that. What are your thoughts and expectations at this stage? Um, everything at the moment is a bonus in terms of having a shout of getting into the playoffs. But it would, if we got into the playoffs, then the opportunity is there. You're technically, what, three games away from the Premier League? And why you've got that chance and how the financial uh, restraints are regarding the football club against um, the parachute payments... While they've got that opportunity, it's a matter of um, going for it because it's already hard enough for us to compete against teams coming down from the Premier League. So, like I said, while we've got that opportunity, um, go for it. And if it doesn't happen, it doesn't happen because, like we've said, it's a bonus. But if it does happen, what an an unbelievable achievement that uh, Steve Cooper might achieve something what no manager has done since Dave Bassett in 97-98. Okay, I'm going to come back to something you just said in just a minute. But before I do, Stephen, funnily enough, uh, Tom's used the phrase, oh, if if we uh, get to that position, we need to try and take that chance. And I was having a discussion with Brady from the uh, Huddersfield podcast, and he takes that chance when we had our FA Cup match. And we were both saying that given how brilliantly bonkers the championship is and how competitive it is, in a way, the ideal situation, surely, is to uh, finish third in the league, get to the playoff final every season, then lose on penalties and glorious ignominy, so you don't have to deal with the upset of being in the Premier League and getting beaten pretty much every week. Or am I being too cynical? <laughs> It'd be nice to be up there for a little bit, surely. Um, it's been that long, and the, and the club, I think... A good example, actually, is looking back at the Liverpool game. Look at the atmosphere. Look at the excitement around the ground that we were playing a team of Liverpool stature. And you just think the atmosphere, the the displays that um, Boz Garibaldi arranged, absolutely brilliant. You think, God, we surely this this club's got to be in the Premier League. The way that the fans are taken to these big games and and the excitement and the buzz that it generates, it just, yeah, it would be incredible. It'd be incredible for the city. And I think as well, not not to sound too big-headed, but I think we would be a real addition to the Premier League in that sense because the fans have been waiting for it a long time. The atmosphere's there. There's, a, there's obviously history as well going back. But I, I just feel like the club is 
it's ready to embrace Premier League football and, and what that can bring. And we, yeah, we don't want to get too carried away because nothing's nothing's guaranteed yet. But if we can get up there and into the <laughs> into the Premier League, it would be incredible. It really would. And and yeah, it's just nice to be in with a shout at this end of the season. You just said to me in September we'd be here, and I probably laughed at you. So yeah, let's just embrace it and and see what happens. Uh, and uh, Baz, we'll, we'll talk about atmosphere in, in its own right in a little while, but you wanted to jump in there. Well, yeah, so I'm saying we need to be sensible and remember where we've come from and everything. But I'm also, um, we're, we're all, most of us on this podcast are pretty old. And so I can remember when we went up under Frank Clark and then finished above Liverpool in the, the, the first season up again. So that could happen as well, which would be amazing, finishing above Liverpool. <laughs> Well, there you go then. So so those are the ambitions set out there. If we don't go up, isn't there a danger we're going to lose half of our first team? Um, yes. <laughs> but also, um, what's interesting... So, and, and I've, I've just rem- I'm reminded uh, earlier today that I have set a reminder on my phone, um, which was from October which was to ask Stephen in a year's time, because he said some comment about um, Steve Cooper being our manager for years to come or something like that. And I was like, right, I need to follow him up on that. But the thing I've always said is you can't tell about a manager until the tough times happen. And with Sabri, he didn't pass the test. Um, you could say the same for Ito Karanka, he sort of waltzed out. Um, Steve Cooper's not been through that yet. So that's going to be the real thing is, is what happens when, yeah, we, we lose the likes of, if we don't go up and we do lose Johnson and Worrell and maybe a couple of others and we have a really, really sticky start to a, a dodgy November again or something like that, then how's he going to cope and and how's the rest of the club going to cope and how are we going to rally around him? And and that's the real question and we, we've not had... Um, even a, an inkling of how he would react when he's really under pressure. Okay. Does um, does his time at Swansea, when he had to sell quite a lot of his, or he lost quite a lot of his players from that first playoff season, does that give any indication? Do you think? Um, I think. Well, um, well, the Swansea fans would say yes. He battened down the hatches and played dour football that wasn't quite good enough. But I don't, it, it's circumstances, isn't it? It's, it's the, the culture of the club, the atmosphere, the time, the place and everything else comes together at the same time. Um, I saw Karanka walked out twice, so maybe that's his his personality. But what Sabri, I don't know, actually. Sabri actually is, is whatever, Renside. They collapsed a bit, didn't they? Mm-hmm. So maybe it is and maybe that's what we will see if it happens and um, there, there will be a bad run at some point and, and the pressure will be on. So it would be interesting to see how he does react there. OK, so, so same, same thing to you then, Tom, which is um, history does tend to repeat itself with managers, doesn't it? And using those examples, Karanka, he had a big, big mod at Middlesbrough and almost walked out. And that happened uh, twice at Forest. Sabri, he had a really good... Um, sort of eight or nine months in charge at Wren and then it all fell apart and he ended up losing his job and 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 then the same thing happened happened at Forest. So when times get tough, firstly, will times get tough for, for Cooper? Because is Forest a different place to work now than it was 
even six, eight months ago? And then secondly, do you have faith that if times do get tough, that Cooper will be all right? There's, the mentality's changed in eight months of where it was and how what he's instilled. Um, I think the hard times will come, but they'll probably be when we're in the Premier League. Oh, them's fighting words. Them's fighting. I like that. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And 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 Stephen, let's. Um, we're going to talk about um, the boardroom a little bit later. But just very briefly, do you think the fact that um, Cooper is now working for a club that is being run by Dane Murphy and where the main administrator is, uh, what's his name, Tamor Rushdie? Do these things give you a bit more faith? Yeah, fills me with a lot more confidence. It seems as if the the football side of the club is much more professionally run. People who know what they're doing in the right jobs and having those kind of football people in, in quotation marks, it gives you that perspective um, that when things perhaps aren't going to plan or the manager makes a certain decision, setting up the team in a certain way or making a certain substitution, you don't lose your mind and, and ask him what on earth is he thinking and, and why have you not done this, you've not done that. You trust in the process and you trust in the manager that you've, inst- that you've, you've put in there. And in, in the, what is it, seven or eight months since Cooper and Murphy have worked together, I think we've seen a really strong relationship form. And if you look at the, for example, the players who have come in, I mean, it's the, it's the, one, it's the one area perhaps where we can, can measure success in terms of hit or miss. Um, you look at the players who have been brought in and they're, they're making an impact. Sam Surridge who for the money spent on him looks like a really, really astute signing. Keenan Davis, who's been excellent. Steve Cook, a really worthwhile addition to the back line, who's, who might fall outside of the Dane Murphy kind of money ball system, if you like, but they've identified his leadership and the qualities that he can bring. And we've seen that already in the, in the few months that he's been in charge. So, those signs there of, of real progress in terms of transfers from, say, the people who were in before, give, fills me with confidence. And that's before you even get to the, the football side of things on the pitch, the tactical improvements, the, the mentality as well of the team. The team just looks like it's playing with so much confidence and belief. And players are embracing being part of it as well, that... They're enjoying being part of a promotion challenge. They're enjoying the challenge of taking on Arsenal, Leicester, Liverpool in the FA Cup, and they're rising to it. And and that's another big thing as well. I think when that stability is there behind the scenes, creates a good mentality around the club. And, and the players in particular, I think, can really buy into that. And that's what we're starting to see. Such has been the transformation in the last few months. It's It's easy to, to forget that, it only is a few months, really, that Dane Murphy and Cooper have been in their roles. So, yeah, I'm just excited to see what happens next and, and how they can build on this great start. Mm. Now, Baz, you and I have been going to matches and following Forest, like you say, for a very long time. And is it fair to say that in the kind of the last, let's say, last 25 years that actually 
from the outside looking in, because that's all we are really as fans. We're looking in from the outside. But this feels like the most stable the club has been for much of that last 25 years. We had Nigel Doughty's long tenure and ownership. But this feels like the first time in that time that Forrester being strategic, don't you think? Yeah, it's the first, like both you and I have said before, we loved Nigel Doughty for what he tried to do for the club and the way he went about it. But it never felt like there was a vision behind it. It did feel uh, quite a bit reactive, right? We've got this, this is a trouble. Uh, now we're going to suddenly out of nowhere around the back of the sofa find two and a half million quid for David Johnson and, and all that sort of stuff. And that, that was kind of the way it was. Whereas this feels much more like, right, this is the blueprint. Now let's, let's put it into action. And and so yeah, like like we were saying, Steve Cook might not fit the the um, Barnsley moneyball style by young sort of thing, but there was a lack of leadership in the team. They identified that they went out and found someone to fill that gap, which does feel like the right way to do things. And it feels like yeah, we, we're going we're we're making steps in the right way. It's not just for this season; it's it's a longer term project. Mm. And and Tom- here I say it, a five year plan. <laughs> wow. Well, funnily enough, we are actually obviously at five years this summer since uh, Evangelos Maranakis took over the club. Mm. And uh, and so the fact that we may be reaching um, four to five years might explain why there was a change of direction. Who knows? We will never know. Tom, just um, let's think about the managers who've where it looks as though they potentially could have threatened success at Forest in the last few years. So we've got Billy Davis, we've got Aitor Karanka, we've got Sabri Lamushi. This is different, isn't it? Um, yeah. It's like Billy Davis, he was just, like he says, he's one press conference away from just chucking a hand grenade on himself. Karanka was just like too emotional and if he didn't get, he was like a mini Mourinho, Karanka was. He feeded. He was like Mourinho's little protege. If he didn't get his own way, um, he's like, "That's it. I'm down on tools. I'm off." He did it at Middlesbrough, where he disappeared for two days. Uh, then he turned up and, and, and says, "I'm your manager still." And he's come towards and didn't get uh, this, that, and the other. And then he's gone to Birmingham, and it's obviously that's nosedive there. So, and Sabri is a bit like Mark Warburton. He. You win a game of football, and when the going got a bit tough, and you just didn't have a plan B. And if you look at the games, it was very much one goal uh, in it most of the time. And sometimes we did get a bit lucky under uh, Sabri, but now under Steve Cooper, the it's like uh, his mentality is very much 21st century in 21st century football, and and everybody's buying into that. And like you've alluded to, it's the most stable the football club has been in the last 25 years, stability-wise. Okay, and uh, this takes me back to uh, to the Liverpool match in many ways, because um, I was saying to to the Anfield Rap podcast and also to our Liverpool fan, Johnny Shaw, about the modern breed of football manager. Steve Cooper feels like he's from that mould rather than from um, the, the, the old school. And I think it's fair to say that in their own ways, Karanka and Sabri were old school Let's come back to uh, matters on the pitch in terms of players. Stephen, we've got a little bit of an injury crisis and the international break has probably come at a good time in the sense that Graben, uh, Cook, McKenna, Lowe, they're all first-team players who are out injured. 
for weeks rather than days and we could do with them couldn't we yeah you're looking there at essentially your back five decimated with a couple of injuries plus grabbing obviously up front even though we've we've filled that gap quite well with Keenan Davis and Sam Surridge contributing as they have um yeah the the worry about the defense is that we're losing elements of the team that have helped us to play so well this season so that back three with Spence and Lowe as the wing-backs pushing forward. That's been a really big part of our success, and it's it's given the team the foundation to play to their best. So, the, yeah, that is a concern that we're, we're missing essentially two-thirds of that defence now. Um, the bonuses with the international break, that's given us an extra week or two's recovery time. So hopefully we can get Cook and... McKenna and and Low back sooner rather than later. Whether this opens up an opportunity for, say, Jonathan Panzo after the international break to to come in uh, remains to be seen. But it's it's just it has shown actually that a few injuries can still really hurt us, and and we are going to to struggle with with those key players out. So um, I would like. I mean, Scott McKenna has been. Just come on, Scott McKenna. I think he has been a massive loss for us because he's so consistent, um, almost to a point where he's, he goes under the radar. You just expect solid performances from him week by week that you almost don't notice it. And I think we will miss him as much as anybody in the in the games that he's out for. And hopefully we can get him back and, and obviously Steve Cook and Lowe as well as, as soon as possible. Mm. And um, yeah, just going back to a comment I made after Liverpool match is that if we'd been playing with a back three and it'd been Scotty McKenna on Diogo Jota, then Forrest wouldn't have conceded that goal. But playing in the back four meant that Colback had to come across, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, Baz, on that topic, we've talked about strategy a few minutes ago, and Stevens just mentioned Jonathan Panzo, who we haven't even seen on the bench. So. Should we have any concern about the fact that the likes of Jonathan Panzo, Loic, we know Loic can play um, and he's a decent defender, barely even gets on the bench. Richie Larrier has come in and um, Cooper Wenast has just said, well, he needs to acclimatise. It's a very different style of football, also very different, you know, uh, environment for him and so on and so forth. Should we have any concerns about the fact that those players are not even getting a look in, even when we've got three fifths of our defence missing? Um, just before I start, yeah, just to reiterate about McKenna, yeah, he's definitely my favourite player this season. He's he's absolutely outstanding. Um, I think, and actually, this comes back to the twenty first man, twenty first century manager thing. I think one of the differences between these twenty first century managers and the old school managers is about how they talk to the players and how they include the players in what they do. And it's it's um, like you know, I've seen um, stuff about Graham Potter where he will sit down with the players and say, right, this is this is the situation. How would you deal with it? And I've heard that Steve Cooper does the same thing. So I, I think a big part of it with that that what that leads me to believe is that the players who don't have that philosophy or don't yet understand his philosophy, they don't get counted in the same way. So maybe it does take a bit of time for for someone like Larea who's been in a completely different situation to buy into how Steve Cooper wants him to play and how he wants him to make his decisions. Cause that's, the, that's what it comes down to is 
when you're on the pitch, you have to make a decision at various points and it's about making the right decisions. And if Steve Cooper doesn't trust them to make those right decisions, then it's probably worse than having someone who's less talented but makes the right decisions, if that makes sense. Tom, any thoughts on that? Are you disappointed that, you know, when we've had Max Lowe out and we know that Laria can play as a left wing back, are you disappointed that we've still been playing one of our better midfielders in the left wing back position? Um, yeah, slightly, because um, you would have thought, what, three months down the line that we would be able to acclimatise with how Steve Cooper wants to well, wants to see him fit into our system. So, yeah, I'm a, I am a bit surprised, but I'm not the manager, so just I'll leave it up to the expertise of um, Steve Cooper and his staff to put players in when they're actually ready. And um, just on that one, there was, I don't know if you saw the clip that went viral this weekend of Larry playing for, for Canada. He made a brilliant run down the left left wing. He got to the byline and he had to cut back into his right foot. So um, that is a bit of me just thinking, if that's typical of the way he plays, maybe it's just that Cooper doesn't want a right-footed player playing at fullback. Inverted wingers is one thing, but fullbacks playing on the wrong foot may be a different thing. So, uh, you know, that's just speculation, isn't it? Um, yeah, and another thing is that it's that cliche comes around in full circle, what Billy Davies used to say, was it um, round pegs and round holes rather than square pegs and round holes? So, <laughs> However, inverted wing-backs, that's how Chelsea plays, so... Well, okay, so what you're doing there is you're comparing Thomas Tuchel to Steve Cooper. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Well, we've already compared him to Klopp and Pep, so. (laughs) Okay, we'll leave that part there for the time being. Um, In a moment, we'll be talking about the atmosphere at the city ground, which is something that has got all of us excited. But for the meantime, we're going to hear from Jeremy. You're listening to 1865, the Nottingham Forest podcast. Step into the world of power loyalty and luck i'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse with family cannolis and spins mean everything now you want to get mixed up in the family business introducing the godfather at chabacasino.com test your luck in the shadowy world of the godfather slot someday i will call upon you to do a service for me play the godfather now at chabacasino.com welcome to the family no purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. The 1865 Sketch by Jeremy Davis. There has been much understandable talk recently of the intersection of politics with sport. Whether it's David Cameron confusing Aston Villa with West Ham, Boris Johnson taking out Chinese schoolchildren in a game of touch rugby, or Chelsea fans chanting about Roman's empire days after their former owner had unsuccessfully attempted to get the club off his books after failing to get off the hook for his links to Europe's latest warmonger, it's clear that football and politics, unlike business and pleasure, or Lampard and Gerrard, really do mix. Nottingham Forest Football Club itself is emblematic of sport as a political football, or at least our shirts are. The famous Garibaldi Red being a tribute to the Italian revolutionary hero of the same name, whose volunteers wore red shirts into battle because they couldn't afford uniforms. With such radical roots, it's perhaps ironic that the area was one of only four seats containing championship clubs to vote Tory at the last election, along with Reading, Stoke and Fulham. Karl Marx apparently dismissed Garibaldi as a pitiful donkey. Goodness knows we've had enough of those at Forest in recent decades. 
And it's Marx, whose work and influence is frequently cited by both sides of the football culture wars that constitute political discourse within the game when there are no foreign wars to unite them. Taking the knee got a lot of men of a certain age extremely hot under the collar about a supposed Marxist conspiracy. But on the flip side, the Premier League, to which, lest we forget, our beloved club with its proudly radical roots is striving to return, has been described as the ultimate example of the fulfilment of Marx's prediction of the triumph of capitalism. To put it more succinctly, as Paul Routledge wrote in the Daily Mirror a few years ago, Marx argued that religion is the opium of the people, but that's only because he was writing in 1843 and didn't know about football. Sports washing is a relatively new term, but of course politicians have used sports as a soft power vehicle for thousands of years, from gladiatorial combat and chariot racing in ancient Rome to the forthcoming World Cup in Qatar. And here again, Nottingham was ahead of the game, if you'll pardon the pun, boasting one of the very oldest examples in British history, in the shape of the archery contest staged by the Sheriff of Nottingham in a scheme to entrap Robin Hood, who for all his class warrior robbed from the rich, give to the poor heroism, basically enters in the hope of getting off with Maid Marian. A working-class hero may be, but still one firmly entrenched in the conventions of the patriarchy. Whichever side of the political divide you stand, there's no doubt that when it comes to football clubs with a heritage born of seismic geopolitical shifts, with our links to Garibaldi, Forrest yet again takes the biscuit. Thank you very much, Jeremy. Uh, great to hear your voice again. And we'll be having a little bit more from you a little bit later on. Now, let's talk about the atmosphere at the city ground. Um, there's a real feel good factor at the ground at the moment from Muller Kintyre before kickoff through to Depeche Mode after the match. Um, before we go any further, let's just hear from Stuart Levy. Um, Stuart is a fan who flew over from Germany to visit the city ground last week. Yeah, well, the atmosphere, I guess I'm going to be one of hundreds of your, of your listeners saying it's the best we've ever heard of me. I've been a Forest fan since 98-99 when I was a kid when we were last in the Prem. And yeah, I just cannot believe how, how loud it was. Um, it's a lot of people in Germany don't really take an interest in, in the EFL. And to be fair, people in England don't really take an interest in the lower lower German leagues. But everyone I've shown shown my my pre, pre-game Muller McIntyre clip to have been saying, how on earth is that not a Premier League club? So in terms of the game this year, and you see the clips on YouTube, uh, Speaker Boy, and all, all the stories from this year, they just can't get enough. Um, the fact that nobody, even when we're midweek wins against, I don't know, Barnsley and QPR, nobody is leaving before the final whistle to wait for Stevie Cooper's fist bumps, and they just can't get enough. Do, 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 do. Thank you very much, Stuart, for that insight into attending a game and, and comparing what the atmosphere is like on match day when you haven't been for a long time. Stuart's podcast called 21 for 21. They are podcast brothers to us on the Sports Social Network. So let's talk about atmosphere. I'm going to use the Reading match as my example here. It was a strange one because in the first half, Forrest weren't playing that well. They, um, they scored the really early goal and they weren't playing that well. And so the, the, the atmosphere was a little bit quiet. But what was interesting is that unlike in previous years, when we've not been that good, it's got a bit tetchy. And, and Tom, even when Forrest aren't doing as, as well as you'd hope, the fans seem really, really positive at the moment, don't they? They do. And, and it comes back to Steve Cooper again. 
it's like you know, how the team plays. You know you're going to get an opportunity on the front foot in the match. Is uh, in the previous regime, it's like we go, especially. I know it was an awful season, but under the um, Joe Kinnear, it's like Forest had like a an okay five, first five ten minutes. The other team would score the goal, and Forest would do nothing up until the 85th minute, and thinking, "Oh, we've only got five minutes in this game. Let's do something." But you just know under Steve Cooper that there's going to be an opportunity, and with the likes of Zinkenagel playing Johnson. Garner, Davis, um, etc. Opportunities, opportunities are going to come in it, and how the play and how the play out the back with a bit of intensity, it is easy on the eye. So you can buy into it. You can see what's actually happening on a football uh, pitch, which makes um, the spectacle a lot more easier compared to recent years. Stephen, fans don't leave the ground anymore. It, the, the city ground. Even I think back to going to my first matches in about 1990 with my dad. And the fact that even then, even if there was a, things were going well, you'd get a bunch of people, 80 minutes or 85 minutes, a bunch of people would get up and walk towards, walk towards the exits. And, and of course, I enjoyed having the last laugh when that happened not so long after I started going because we were still there when Des Walker scored his goal and loads of other people weren't. But... Fans are not only staying till 90 minutes, they're staying till 95 because they want to stay and have a party and they want to see um, dance along to Depeche Mode and they want to see Steve Cooper doing his fist pumps if we've won a match. It's, I've never seen anything like it at City Ground, have you? No, it's, it's, it's an incredible connection that's been built between the team and the supporters. And I think that's key, really, that you've got a manager who is so in tune with the club and so in tune with the supporters and the team are on that same level as well. And it's just it's just a joy to see. To see so many fans staying behind, Depeche Mode playing, Steve Cooper giving it the fist bumps. It's been such a long time since we've had that kind of almost electric connection between the, the manager, the team and the supporters. Uh, probably even since Brian Clough's era that, that that has really been there with such warmth and such energy. And it, it's lovely to see. And taking it back to the football, you don't leave before the end of the game because there's a good chance you'll miss something. And it's been a long time that since we've been able to really say that with confidence about a Forest team, that this team doesn't give up. They play until the very last whistle. And the most recent example for me was the Stoke City game where... Uh, Samba's sent off in a moment of silliness. The penalty goes in. Forrester 2 1 down, 10 men, and yeah, probably not going to get anything from the game. And people were starting to fall out of the stadium. But those of us who stayed were rewarded with Ryan Yates thumping ahead of home in injury time. And it's 2 2, and, and suddenly it's, it's almost like we've won the game. And it's, yeah, it's brilliant to see. And then you add on top of that all of the away wins this season, which have come in the dying moments of the game. It's incredible. And it's just, it's just really nice to see after years of uh, kind of mediocrity and, and a bit of probably, you know what, we can't be bothered with this. We will support the team, but we're almost doing it more out of duty than enjoyment. It we're really now sure, getting... A chore, didn't it? Yeah. I sorry, think to but, it. sorry to butt in. It's like, you know, now you can't wait for the next game. And then uh, a few seasons ago, it's like, oh, I've got, no disrespect to Preston, but Preston on a Tuesday night can't really be bothered to like rush home from work, 
um, get down to the ground, have like a dodgy burger and, and then watch like a crap performance, which is dominated by an awfully um, rubbish referee. So, but now everybody wants to be part of it. And that's the big difference. Okay. And uh, Baz, just to, to come to you, one thing that was very interesting is that um, the last couple of matches I've been to, 1865 Dad has actually said, oh, let's, let's stay afterwards until Cooper goes around and do his fist pumps. And, and to anyone who knows 1865 Dad, that's pretty out of character in his, in his personality when it comes to being oh, a football be the fan. Same. <laughs> um, <laughs> the, the, well, I mean, in terms of, yeah, that sort of, that sort of thing, you said the atmosphere, at, we've never seen anything like it at the city ground. It is like an away game atmosphere. It's that that incessant chanting, the the belief, the pushing the team forwards that that we're getting that that you we previously only saw at away games. And the only other time I've seen a manager connect like that, and we've spoken about this before, is when Billy Davis did the thing against Derby that time, and came out and just yelled at us to to, to give give it some. That kind of thing, which Steve Cooper does every single week now, it's, those were one-offs, <laughs> and now it's a regular thing. And that's what's making the difference. It's happening every week. It's happening every game. It's brilliant. And and just staying with you, Baz, uh, the other thing that sort of occurs to me is that Steve Cooper, he, there's an interview where he kind of he sort of said, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm falling in love with the place after he'd been here for a couple of months. Now, that's either the greatest PR stunt in the world, which he's managed to keep going, or it was, there's something genuinely there. And I don't know what it is, but if it is just a PR stunt, then it feels very different to the way that Billy got the fans on side. I saw an interview with Steve Cooper, and I can't remember where I saw it, where he said one of the things he likes to do is to get inside the head of the club. And he said he spent a lot of time doing research on Swansea to understand what they were about and what they were like. So that maybe is one of the things that he does. I can remember when Joe Kinnear came in and none of us really wanted him. But I can remember his first week, all the interviews he gave, he didn't put a foot wrong. The stuff he was saying was exactly what we wanted to hear. And then I think it was the, the Derby game came up and he said, oh, it's just another match. And it's like all that good PR, he just blew out of the water. It, that was PR. It was, he was saying the right things for the right reasons. I don't know if that's the case for Steve Cooper. It doesn't, it doesn't come across as superficial as that with him. Just a slightly different topic, related, separate but related. Whoever it was, I don't know if it was Mark Dennison, if it was the club's media department or whatever, Whoever thought of putting on just can't get enough after the, after the after the first match in the cup run, they just hit upon absolute gold, didn't they? Because suddenly, it, you know, everyone in a red shirt in Nottingham is the biggest Depeche Mode fan in history. <laughs> it's an absolute stroke of genius, and uh, I think one of my favourite moments with that was uh, the full-time whistle in the Derby match where there was a bit of a scuffle breaking out on the pitch with Samba and a few of the players and everybody in the stands is just bouncing up and down to just can't get enough. It was brilliant. Um, Cafu was bouncing up and down as well, but in a different way. (laughs) Absolute moment of genius. One of those things, whoever decided to put it on in that moment has just created something brilliant and culmination of speaker boy at Blackburn Rovers and, and, even the uh, the Forest fans in Bournemouth on the night of the postponement, they were in a bar and it was being played and they're all bouncing and singing along to it. Brilliant to see. Mm, Baz. 
Um, well, I'm just wondering, he's, he's not far off the kind of age where actually Depeche Mode probably would be one of his favourite bands. I wonder if it was his choice in the first place. Reckon it's Stevie Cooper, yeah? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, in fairness, he doesn't go around dancing about on the pitch. <laughs> it's the A block and the lower Bridgeford that are doing it. Um, so, yeah, but I mean, it could be, as Bob Ross would say, a happy accident. But if even if it was just an accident, it's something that's really transformed the place. Um, and one of the things that I found going to matches is that you want to win, not just for the joy of winning and getting the points on the board, but also because there's a bit of you, it's kind of looking forward to them playing the song and seeing the A block bouncing and being able to sing along and then Stevie Cooper coming around doing his fist pumps. And just on the, the music front as well, the, the only other thing I can think of that's similar on the music front is um, we used to joke many, many years ago that it was um, Chris Bart Williams DJing that chose to have Bourne Slippy was when, when the team ran out. And yet that's, what, 20 years later and we're still using Bourne Slippy and we still yell, you reds, when those chords open up. So it could be the start of something there. Football fans enjoying rituals. Who'd have thought it? <laughs> anyway, we do need to move on now from there. And there's a couple of things that I just want to touch upon very, very briefly. Um, Tom, there was a fan Q&A, uh, another one of these events where the cynic would say they're overly stage managed. But on the other hand, it gives an opportunity for some selected fans to go to the grounds, to meet Steve Cooper, to ask him some questions and, and just generally find out what's going on. Um, firstly, are you in favour of these kinds of events? And then, and then secondly, um, do you think we're getting the answers that we need and, and just as importantly are we asking the questions that we need to ask uh, no and no it, i don't want to be negative because of obviously all the positive um, positivity around but no i think we'll play it safe and you can't blame the club for doing that in terms of the only vet certain questions um because there's still even though with all the positivity around the club there's still a lot of negatives there and other podcasts have mentioned it and and um, yeah, like I, said, I just want a bit more hard-hitting questions rather than um, like why do you play three-five-two, for example. I, I want something a bit more in depth than that. And I think they do play play a bit safe in terms of what fans' um, questions are answered. It'd be nice to have like possibly Steve Cooper there, a couple of off the board, and it's like an open. Um, open invite kind of thing where anybody can kind of turn up on a ticket base. Like you will release so many tickets. You can go there and you can actually vet, um, answer your questions, what's being asked. I'd rather it been done like that rather than just like picking a certain questions from like a, an internet ballot, let's for, for example. I'd rather it be like an open forum and then you get the answers what everybody wants. Call, call me ignorant, Tom, but... How do they select who attends and which questions get asked? No, it's just like, you know, how they've done it in the, the last one is oh, if you want to like a, um, the opportunity to come put your answer, uh, put your question in here. So obviously see all the questions first from the people coming and think, oh, that's a safe bet. That person can come. This is probably me just being cynical, but rather than like asking really hard you know, say, for example, I asked a really hard-hitting question, which might be a bit critical of how the club is run, for example. They might think, well, we won't have that person, but somebody asking a certain question, which is a bit easy for them to answer, they might say, that person can come. Uh, I'm, like I said, I'm being cynical and probably being a bit over the top, but 
I'd rather it be in an open forum where anybody can ask anything to a, to a, like a certain level, if you know what I mean. Okay, and you think that there's questions on and off the pitch that are maybe being being ignored. Now, we, we do have to, to move on to a slightly different off-the-pitch topic, which is, um, Baz, there has been an announcement in terms of the Forest Board of Directors, and that is that Kyriakos Direkas... I don't know if I've pronounced his name right, so apologies to Kyriakos if I haven't. Um, he's joined the board. So the board is now Nicholas Randall, QC, Dane Murphy, Yanis uh, Francis, Johnny Owen and Kyriakos Durikas. And we saw a thread from Jordan Fellon, who is the um, founder of the Toronto Trickies and the president of the NFFC North America um, group of fans. It was quite a thoughtful thread, actually. So... Um, he made the point that actually Forrest have, have announced it rather than just it appearing on company's house, as has happened before. Um, he's also reckons that there's, um, there's generally a positive thing because he's the director of football. So it makes sense for him to be involved at an executive level. But um, I don't know. Does, does this make a big difference, the running of the club, Buzz? Well, I, I think that the Jordan guy, he makes the point in the thread at one point, which is, I don't really know because there's so many people with titles like director of football or technical director or technical director of football technicalities and all that sort of thing. There is a job description that he posts at one point in the thread, but who's responsible for what, where did that, where's the overlap? What's, why is he being brought in? What difference does he make? Where, where does his responsibilities start? Where do they end? We still don't know any of that. It, it is nice that they're, they're being a little bit more transparent about it. But but when Dane Murphy came in, we knew what he was going to bring to the table. And with this guy, I don't I don't know. And I don't know how he fits in with all the other football director types in there. Mm. Uh, Stephen, in that very same thread from Jordan, actually, our very own Tom Newton did actually make a, a response, which um, picked up on something that Jordan said, which is that, uh, there's no fan representation, which is something that had been talked about. And yet, on the other hand, we see that um, Miltiades Maranakis, Evangelos's son, he seems to be involved at the club on a regular basis, but he's not listed as having any kind of official role. So um, are there, from a governance point of view, are there things that as fans we should probably still be concerned about? Again, are there more questions than answers? There probably are more questions than answers. Um on the basis of say Maranakis's son. I mean, I've only really seen him posting videos from the aftermath of games and he's enjoying the atmosphere and, and obviously the feel good factor that's around Forrest at the moment. But if you asked me what he did or what he does on a day to day basis, I couldn't tell you. So with that in mind, there probably do, does need to be a bit more clarity around these figures who are involved in the club and what exactly they're, roles and responsibilities are. And I think as well, we've probably had our fingers burnt before with Fawaz and the absolute chaos of Fawaz and his cronies operating behind the scenes and, and dipping their fingers into pies that they probably shouldn't have been in the first place. So I think we're probably a bit on guard because of that previously. Um, yeah, I think a bit more clarity would be would be good and would just probably allow us to 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 relax and enjoy what's going on on the pitch without having to worry about what's going on off it because 
when you start throwing in all these new figures who might be having a say in football matters, that's when you start to worry about Dane Murphy and and Steve Cooper and would they start to feel pushed out like according to reports in the past, some managers have been pushed out by by figures who perhaps shouldn't have been getting involved in football matters at Forest previously. Hopefully it's not as as kind of drastic as that and it's it's these people are working in the right areas where they need to be. Mm. Tom. Was Durekas the appointment what sent Karanka in a mini meltdown uh, back in twenty eighteen? Allegedly apparently who knows? Right, okay. We'll leave it at that then. Okay. Um, We were hoping to talk a little bit about the club's accounts, but we just haven't got time to do that. And I think that's something that is maybe a bigger picture thing. So we'll probably come back to that in a subsequent podcast. What I'd like to do now is uh, to change tack entirely, because now it's time for a game of Guess That Red. 1865. Guess That Red. Okay, so it's time for another game of Guess That Red. And this month, it's Jeremy Davis who is posing the questions here. Um, Now, I'm going to be honest here. I know who the answer is. So I'm going to sit this one out and leave it to see if Stephen, Tom or Baz can guess which Forest player Jeremy is talking about. This player was a left-sided international who played for Forest in two different divisions. Okay, we're not... Oh, go on. John Robertson. What? Bloody rubbish! It's incorrect. Let's go back to Jeremy. After leaving Forest, this player always got a bit of needle when he returned to Nottingham. Um, go on. Chris, Chris Commons. It is Chris Commons. What was it that made you think that then, Tom? (laughs) (laughs) The one where it's played in two different leagues. It's the needle one, obviously. (laughs) (laughs) Go on, elaborate. Well, with the uh, the chant, what we still sing, even though he's been retired about five years, never gets old with some Forest fans, does it? Well, um, actually, referring to needle... Uh, was actually referring to the fact that he allegedly has a forest tattoo and then he moved, of course, down the road. Uh, So uh, that's what we're talking about. Let's just hear what the other clues were from Jeremy. Despite having his share of big moments in forest derby matches, this player might say it wasn't the biggest derby he played in. Lewis McGugan inherited this player's shirt number twice. Even if he were to get a knighthood, this player would never be at home with the Lords. Well done to you, Tom, on winning that game. And this is our own little competition. So we hope you enjoy that, listeners. But now it's time for a competition that you can enter. Now, I put out a poll on Twitter recently. And it's asking you to think back about the last time that Forest were a Premier League team. And I asked, who was your 1990s Forest hero? Uh, the options I gave were Pierce, Collymore, Stone or other. And Stuart Pierce came out as, as, as quite a decisive winner. He got 62% of the vote. Stan Collymore got 32, which means that poor Stevie Stone was there on only 3% of the vote. 
But there were a few other comments, including one from our very own Baz. And um, <laughs> you like Collymore, but you had something else to add. Um, well, um, Collymore went off in a mard, basically. <laughs> if, and after he'd given up for, on 60 minutes or whatever, he'd be substituted off and replaced by Jason Lee, who's one of the greatest players that's ever worn the red shirt, simply because he got 12 goals in less than a season by chasing down lost causes. He had very little talent. He had a great hairstyle and he got 12 goals for, for just running very, very hard. Hmm. Yeah. And you also gave Henri mentions to uh, some of the players who would absolutely um, you know, love to have now players like Ian Wone, Colin Cooper, uh, Lars and his ability to score direct from a corner. I mean, he was... I used to think that was normal. <laughs> well, yeah, and, and yeah, exactly. And of course, um, Jeremy has in the past talked about some of those great goals that, that Lars has scored as well. Um, other entries we had... So Dan Burke replied, as a four to five year old, um, four to five, not 45, as a four to five year old, Stan Collymore was the first player I idolised and he made me fall in love with football. And Dan, especially as a Nottingham native who'd moved to Cannock, so done the, uh, probably saw Stan more often there than he would have done in Nottingham, in fairness. <laughs> so we've had Dave, who've also said in the brief Premier League era um, of the mid 90s, definitely Stan the man, what a team that was. Um, to take us to third place and back into Europe. But then Dave also adds in, Psycho was my all-time favourite. We've had Michael, who's also said, Psycho will always be my absolute hero, but those couple of years of having Stan in the team were fantastic. The best I've ever seen in our shirt, absolutely unplayable at times. Um, Kentish Red has added in that uh, those who made it look effortless, so another shout for Wone, Behenan, Brian Roy, Bart Williams. Um, and then. Also, the one that I, I kind of enjoyed was, um, so th- there's two here. So one is from Paul Higgins, who said, Pierce's relationship with the fans was unrivaled, but I loved watching Collymore. But Des Walker was as good a play- as any player I've seen. But then that also leads on to Welsh's comments. So Des Walker, although he left in the early 90s, so it's just on the cusp of this era that we're talking about. But he was the best English central defender, bar none. Rio, Campbell and Terry were nowhere near his level. Heading, tackling, speed, incredible. Massively underrated. And he also makes a point that Thiago Silva of Chelsea is very much like Dez. And he's very, he's super fit, but he's economically knows the right things to do and how to time things. And that got me thinking about, about what we could ask as a competition question. So we've got some mugs to give away from our sponsors, The Terrace some forest-themed mugs, and it just got me asking the question, Tiago Silva's 37, so I want to ask you, how old was Des Walker when he made his last ever appearance for Nottingham Forest? So how old was Des Walker when he made his last Forest appearance? So you need to email your answer to forestramble, that's all one word, forestramble at gmail.com, And the closing date for this competition is 6pm on Friday, the 1st of April. And over the weekend, we will contact our lucky winners. Okay, so that takes us to the end of this podcast. Um, Stephen, we've got some we've got some obviously big matches which are which are coming up. Um, Ten matches to go. We've got an away match at Blackpool followed by a couple of home games. Um, What are your 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 hopes and your thoughts as we go into this last stretch? 
I just hope that we carry on playing the way that we have been and we're picking up points at the rate that we have been as well. Um, if we do that, we've got every chance of getting into the top six and teams around us will be playing each other and taking points off one another. So all we can do is keep up the performance levels. Hopefully the results come with that and, and we can be in that top six at the end of the season. OK, Tom, top six, top two, what are you going for? Uh, top six. With the games in hand and players coming back, I'd say fourth. OK. And and Baz, just to come to you, points in the bag are better than games in hand, aren't they? But it, we do seem really quite confident, don't we? If we can get the momentum, then, yeah, t- top two would be lovely because then we don't have to deal with the blooming playoffs. But, again, speaking of momentum, there's always that one team right at the end that that builds up this head of steam and then powers through. And I'd, I'd like that to be us. Uh, maybe this little bit with the injuries, we'll have a little, maybe a slowdown possibly, and then and then go for it towards the end of the season because it's all about getting the, getting your momentum at the right time. Mm. And, and when you talk about that idea about teams who kind of power on through, then actually in that respect... You think about it, the matches against Coventry and Luton and maybe even West Brom as well. Those could be very interesting ones because they are potentially six pointers for the teams who are vying for those playoff places. But as I said, let's go for the jugular and let's hope that the away match at Bournemouth on the 3rd of May is a six pointer to try and get second place in the league. We're going to leave it there. We want to say thank you very much to Stephen Topless, to Tom Newton, to Baz. We want to say thank you also to Jeremy Davis. And also a big thank you to Stuart Levy from the 21 from 21 podcast uh, for joining us and sharing his thoughts. Remember, our competition closes on the 1st of April at 6pm. Email forestramble at gmail.com and we'll be back with more match reports very soon. And also a big thank you to... I've lost his name. Sports Social Podcast Network. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. Laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.